negative emotions generally have some sort of benefit. Anxiety is an incredible motivator. It can also be a great way to get you to to make decisions or crystallize what you want in your life. It's very hard because our, our natural instinct is to always avoid unpleasant feelings or avoid negative emotions. But, yeah. you know, kind of the, the practice I come back to over and over in my creative life is just it's how can I use whatever I'm going through at this moment? How can I use it? Hello, friends out there on the Internet. Welcome to another episode of the Chase Jarvis Live Show. It's Chase, and I am here with a very exciting guest. Now, the guest, uh, he is a very well-known author, number one New York Times bestseller, and he's got a curse word in his book, so if there are little people around, give him some earmuffs real quick. Mark is the author of that book you've heard of or probably have read yourself called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Now, it's not what it sounds like. The irony is that Mark cares a lot, which is one of the reasons if you're right now saying, wait a minute. Haven't you had Mark on the show before? Indeed, this is a replay. We had this show aired early on in the pandemic, so you will hear that in today's show. But I was re-listening to this show about four or six weeks ago, and I was like, wait a minute, this, there's so much stuff that is, it's sort of, it is maybe even more relevant now than it was when we originally aired it. So I was inspired by the show. I wanted to re-air it so that you could get the value that I feel like I got from it. Uh, and if you're not familiar with Mark's work beyond the book, um, the subtle art, he is a brilliant writer. He writes about life and what he calls life advice that is science-based, pragmatic, and non-bullshitty, AKA life advice that does not suck. Again, it turns out that Mark is a really sophisticated thinker and he's a very, very clearly articulates his point, which uh, has helped me get unstuck in a recent chapter of my life. So I'm going to stop talking. One other thing you'll notice about today's show is that we recorded it live. So we are taking live calls from around the world across a handful of different platforms. I thought I thought it was really interesting uh, that these questions really contributed to the conversation. And I know you will get a lot of value because in the particular lies the universal. Some of these questions I know are going to uh, pertain to you. So I'm going to get out of your way. Yours truly and Mark Manson. Excellent episode today. Please enjoy. Mark, thanks for being here, bud. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. After you've had a you know book that's sold 10 million and you know, I have no idea how many millions uh fucked a book about hope is sold, but what is someone who has had that dramatic level of success? How do you ever like? What's the what's the follow on? And there's so many creators and entrepreneurs listening here that, um, like, what where do you go from there? Uh, that's a it's a really good question because I feel like the log like there, there's a little bit of a, a contradiction in terms of what happens to you after you experience a success that big. Mm. On the one hand, like business wise the thing that makes the most sense is to just run it again, right? Like to just try to take whatever ingredients made that book work and then just try to run it back and repeat it um, to kind of milk the most out of it as possible. The problem is, is that like emotionally that's, I don't know, it's just for me at least, it's soul destroying and defeats the whole purpose of why I wanted to be an author in the first place. So, um, but then if you try to work on something new, then you feel like kind of an idiot because you're like, well, why am I, why am I risking doing a new thing when I know this other thing works so well and can make so much money? Um, 
so for me, there's there's been a, a real tension uh, over the last few years in terms of what I what I want to do. Um, my my second book, Everything Is Fucked, was intentionally intentionally I, I tried to make it different, make it a little bit deeper, make it a bit more challenging, almost in a way to like uh, just to challenge myself and just to prove to myself that the world's not going to end if I don't sell as many copies or if I don't kind of reproduce the same sort of success the second time around. Uh, and that was that was really great because now I feel very liberated to work on what I want and kind of um, like let let me put it this way I like immediately after Subtle Art came out it almost felt like a, a prison a little bit of like oh shit now I'm gonna be the fuck guy for the rest of my life this is all <laughs> I can do um, whereas now I've kind of arrived at a point where where I see it as almost like a it's an opportunity like it's just it's bought me the freedom to um, pursue and, and write whatever I want to over the coming years. Yeah. There's something, um, I, I wrote about in my book that, that I have experienced and I can't even fathom the success that you've had. So it's just gotta be exponentially worse, but the, the concept of when you're starting out, you truly have nothing to lose, right? For, for a lot of folks, um, ideally if you set yourself up to, you know, pursue the creative, outlets that you want to or create a business or a living or a life doing what it is that you want. And then once you um, manage to just stick your claws into that just a little bit, the corner of the, the couch and you pull yourself up and then all of a sudden you're on the couch and then you and then all of a sudden you have things, and then you have an audience and then you have um, a bank account and then you maybe have a house and then you like all of a sudden you get things that you can lose. Yeah, I'm not suggesting that you've, you know, that you or anyone in this position has, um, you know, gone off the rails and now you're living, you know, some uh, crazy ass 1% life. But the same is true, whether it's financially or just even your own comfort, you've achieved that. As you said, you've now had the freedom to be able to write what you want to write. And do you ever, um, you know, and I am trying to explore the, the success side um, of what you've been able to accomplish do you feel that sense of, you know, you can lose things now? Totally. Or it's pure freedom. No. And, and it's one of those things that you never think about when you're kind of starting out and dreaming of success, which is there's a real, that freedom of nothing to lose, that freedom to be able to try anything and fail and have nobody really notice that you failed or, or care. Yeah. Um, there's a that's a real asset that you never get back um and and i mean generally speaking psychology has shown for for years now that humans the pain of losing something is much greater than the the happiness of achieving it right so it's there is that constant anxiety now of like oh shit what if what if i alienate the readership what if i put out a book that bombs and kills my relationship with the publisher like what if um you know like what if my next advance is a quarter of what this one was it, like there's always that gnawing anxiety but I, I think it just it it come like at any point along the journey of a creative career there are emotional challenges and i i those emotional challenges never really go away they simply shift 
in nature. You know, it's like when you don't have an audience, you're very anxious and worried about other things. And then when you have a big audience, that anxiety is still there. It's just shifted. It's a different type of anxiety. And so I, I try to, uh, so I, I try to not fall into the trap of like trying to get away from anxiety. I try to just understand whatever anxiety I'm feeling and work through it. Mm. Say more, say more. How do you do that? Uh, you know, it, it's, I don't know. A lot of it's just being honest with yourself, being honest of, of what, what are you afraid of? What is the pressure? Um, because a lot of us tell, like a lot of us kind of create these explanations for our anxiety or for the, the stress that we feel, but it's, it's often not so obvious, you know? So like yeah. with, with everything is fucked, there was a lot of pressure coming from the publisher about getting that book out quickly, um, trying to make it a follow-up to subtle art. And I felt a lot of pressure from them, but I was, I, I was very, very stressed. And so for a long time, I, I kind of blamed the publisher for all of my emotional problems. But if I'm being honest, like really, a, a lot of the stress of that book was much more internal. It was the stress of that book was much more about, you know, what do you do? Like if you, once you achieve a dream or once you achieve a goal, like where do you go from there? Like how do you create new dreams for yourself or how do you create new goals? Um, like that, that when I look back, that's actually where most of my stress was coming from was like, I didn't really know what to hope for after subtle art. Um, and, but because I had this obnoxious publisher bothering me every other week, it was easy to just blame them for my stress instead of owning it myself. Yeah. I want to, um, I think you just alluded to sort of having no expectations. And uh, if we backtrack three to five minutes, you said something about like, there's this time to cherish. And right now you have anxiety about all these things that you're not doing. And I, I found it uh, a super enlightening that you're like, this is an asset, I think you called it. Yeah. An asset to not have a bunch of people, whether you, it's your crazy publisher or uh, a spouse, a partner, um, breathing down your neck. So before we go way back to the beginning where you hadn't written the subtle art, talk to me, just give, give me a, a, another nugget, another thought of what's in your brain. Like, can you say more about how someone might view that as an asset? Because I think that is incredibly powerful. Well, one of the core, I guess, principles of my work, like one of the main things I write about in general is uh, I I argue that negative emotions generally have some sort of benefit. Um, you know, biologically speaking, we evolve negative emotions because they help us in a lot of situations. And so I, for me, a lot of what I try to focus on is if I am feeling anxiety or anger or stress, uh, or fear, I ask myself, like, what, what is the silver lining to this? Like, what is the benefit that can come out of this? Um, because anxiety is an incredible motivator. Um, it can also be, uh, a great way to get you to, to make decisions or crystallize what you want in your life. And so I, I try to, 
it's very hard because our, our natural instinct is to always avoid unpleasant feelings or avoid negative emotions. But, yeah. you know, kind of the, the practice I come back to over and over in my creative life is just it's, um, you know, how can I use whatever I'm going through at this moment? How can I use it? I mean, right now I've been kind of struggling, you know, in, under this quarantine and everything like I've kind of, I've been struggling with apathy and and to be honest, like boredom. Uh, and so I, I've been challenging myself to entertain myself and I've like in through doing that, I've come up with some pretty wacky outlines for, uh, a new book and, and a few mm-hmm. articles, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, and it, and it, when I come up with it, it feels completely off the wall, but you know, and then I come back to it. I'm like, actually, this is like, this is some pretty cool stuff. So there might, you know, it might be that like my next book was born out of this quarantine. You never know. Yeah. I like the concept of negative emotions and, and how to use them. It is, we are, um, just one layer deeper for anyone who's curious about what Mark said, we are biologically, um, wired over index on a negative bias. That means like it's when you think like, Oh my God, what's, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with this situation? How am I going to fail? Like all these negative self-talk, like, that's actually biology and you have to train yourself. A lot of the, um, the folks that, um, I'm most familiar with their work have done a lot to train that out of their brain. And I think it's fascinating when I look at your work and, and read a little bit. Um, well, there's some just a really great article just came out about you. I'll share that in just a second, but maybe Nasa can put it in the comments. Um, but, making use of that negative fuel and um, I don't want to say leaning into it because that feels like I'm putting words into your world, but like how do you, is it just a motivator is, or is there anything beneath the, that top layer? Um, is there anything deeper about using negative emotions rather than trying to cultivate a positive attitude, if you will? Yeah, I, I, I think for me, it's less a question of like, how do I feel good or feel better, which is, I think most self-help is kind of pushes people in that direction. Most self-help is saying, you know, find, find the part of the negative experience that you can be happy about, which that's important. But I think in, in the context of, um, being creative, my career, my work life and everything, it's more, how can I make this useful? Like, if I'm pissed off, like, how can I make this anger useful? What, where can I channel it that will actually be beneficial for me? Um, and so that, that, that's kind of a question I'm always trying to ask myself. And by the way, like you have to ask yourself these things of positive emotions too. Like it's very easy to become very satisfied with yourself, uh, you know, and be like, Hey, I put out this song and it did really well. Like, Let's go on vacation. Yeah, like (laughs) I don't need to do anything else. Um, It's, you know, on the flip side of that, if I have something that's going very well, like I had an article go viral a few weeks ago and and my first instinct is like, okay, how do we take advantage of this? Like how do we, we've got hundreds of thousands of new people coming to the site. Um, You know, what what can we do to to leverage this? Mm. Was that uh, how to forgive and not forget or the great meaning trend? Uh, it was the coronavirus one. Surprise, coronavirus, surprise. real risks. <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Yeah. So, <laughs> no, I, I, I think that that 
you know, we, we just had a, a couple of comments chime in about it. It's so Mark, absolutely Mark from, this is from Sinet B to make, uh, um, making um, pluses out of minuses. And, you know, to me, that's the one thing that um, struck me about your work. And, you know, the title is so jarring of your works. And as you said, do I, am I like the guy who only says F-bombs in his titles? But there's, you know, there's this profound positivity underneath the sort of the brash titling, which is so thoughtful, so introspective, so self-aware. Um, where, where does that come from? I've, uh, I don't know. I, I've always been like a pretty introspective and philosophical guy. Um, I started reading about psychology and, and philosophy when I was in high school. And I don't know, it, it's like this was always kind of like a nerdy hobby for myself. And um, I got really into studying religions for a while in college. And I meditated for very seriously for a number of years. And um, it's just something I've been really into. And, and even before, I mean, I, I never even really thought this would be a career. Um, I started a blog in 2008 and, uh, I originally just started it cause my roommates had blogs and, you know, it, like <laughs> blogs were like the cool thing to do. Right. So one of the most famous authors of our time, right. Just <laughs> we're blogging. So I thought I would do it too. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't even know I could write. Um, I didn't really get good grades in, in English class growing up. Uh, and, and it's funny because looking back, I realize now that I got bad grades because I didn't follow the assignment, not because I was actually a bad writer. <laughs> so, um, but I, you know, being, being young and not knowing any better, I just kind of assumed like, oh, you know, writing's not my thing. Um, so it, it, it kind of, everything kind of took me by surprise, um, in my mid twenties when, the blog started taking off and, and tons of people started reading it. it. It was, to me, this was just stuff that I, I had read about and thought about pretty much my whole life. I, I, it never occurred to me that, um, I had something to share with others. But there's an absolute pearl in there. I think that is like, I, I couldn't have written that out in the script and asked you to say it any better like that to, to be able to understand that there is like, there's gold and then there are hills and the parts that you don't necessarily are not inclined to look at or if you start to explore them. So, you know, I, I want to keep my promise on what I said earlier, we'd go back. And so now um, it was a great uh, pathway for us to to go back to your, you said you got some roommates, they're blogging, you start writing, even though you don't think you can write what so many people are listening for their calling that was the title of my book creative calling and like they're out there where do i look for this thing that i'm supposed to be doing and so i'm curious if you yourself didn't think you were a good writer turns out you just weren't good at following directions but like if what made you start to look there and did you explore a bunch of other things and suck at them and then end up back at writing so tell me like how did you arrive at okay, writing's my thing. I'm, I'm, your own words were nerdy, uh, a nerdy philosopher, but was, was writing just the vehicle to get out the nerdy philosophy or what, what process did you go to figure it out? Cause that's what I find so many people want to know about. Yeah. 
I actually thought my calling was was music for most of my my young life. Um, I even went to music school for a couple of years, and it's you know when people come to me with that question of like how do you find your calling or how do you find your passion, uh, my my answer is it's usually under your nose because generally the the thing that you love doing like the thing that you're so the thing that comes easiest to you and that you are most talented at generally it feels so natural to you that you don't even realize that you're doing it and most people aren't you know for so for for me like i didn't i was always kind of like a forum junkie uh back in the 2000s so i was like that guy i go on like music forums and i was that guy who would uh you know anything i disagreed with i would write like a four page reply going like bullet point by bullet point why you are wrong about everything. And it like, I was just this like really obnoxious 20 year old that just wrote pages and pages on forums. And I thought that was normal. Like I didn't realize that most people didn't do that or that, (laughs) that most people didn't enjoy that. And so when, when I started blogging, you know, my, my buddies, like they would post these little like three or four sentence blog posts and I, I would post like a five page blog post because I thought it was fun. Like I I had like a I'd go on like a date and I'd get too drunk and like something stupid would happen. And I so I'd just write about it. And and then my friends would be like, oh, my God, how much time did you spend writing that? And I'm like, <laughs> it, I don't know, like an hour. Like it, it it didn't strike me as a big deal. And so it took me many, many years to, to realize that what what felt very natural to me which was sitting down at a computer and writing like multiple pages um, was very difficult for other people and uh, and was not fun for other people. Like for me, it was fun. It was like a cool way to spend a Wednesday night. Um, whereas for most people, it, it was like a chore. And, uh, and that's when I started to kind of piece it together that like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, maybe this is a thing, you know, like maybe this is something I should be doing a lot more of. Did you explore that? That's fascinating. Hey, thanks for sharing. Um, did you explore other things or when you said, I'd love you said, you know, it's hiding right underneath your nose. Um, or when you discovered rather that, Oh, you mean you don't like writing five pages on a Wednesday night for fun. And, you know, did you just funnel all of your focus and interest in writing or, um, maybe can you talk a little bit, a bit about your music exploration or any other, sort of jobs that you found yourself being pulled to or that, you know, parents or other social pressures uh, kicked you into only to then return or help me understand that. Sure. Uh, Well, you know, my experience in music school was very helpful in that regard as well, because like I said, I thought music was my calling and I I ended up dropping out of music school for the simple reason that uh, practicing music six hours a day made me miserable. And I looked at the people in my music program who are like, clearly, you know, like they were going to make it, they were going to have careers and everything. Uh, and they didn't seem to be miserable. <laughs> they seemed to be more than happy to practice six hours a day. They didn't mind it. Uh, and so I, I kind of just put two and two together. I'm like, you know, I'm probably not built for this the way some people are. Um, and maybe like, maybe my passion for music is listening to music more, to, more than it is playing it or performing it. Um, in terms of what I did from there, I, so I, I, I transferred to a, to a normal university. I actually studied international 
politics and business, um, which is a degree that you can't do anything with. So, uh, it's basically, it's one of those, it's one of those degrees that you get to go to grad school. Um, (laughs) because, because it's like, you might as well, you might as well just have a blank piece of paper. And, uh, and I got out of school right when I graduated from school, uh, it was the crash of 2008. So there, there were no jobs and a bunch of my friends were going into finance and I, I lived in Boston. So I tried to get a job in finance, but around the same time I read, uh, Tim Ferriss's four hour work week. And, uh, I had, I had, I knew a little bit of web design and co- like I had done a little bit of freelance web design in college and I read that book and I'm like, Oh my God, this is easy. I can go to Argentina and only work four hours. That's amazing. And, uh, so I decided to, uh, to, to quit everything and, and then just create, start creating some websites and lo and behold, it, it actually takes more than four hours a week to, um, build a successful online business, you know, not to disappoint anybody out there, but it's, uh, <laughs> I don't know if that that's real, but I like the brilliant title. I, I, it is a brilliant title. Not the same and, time we say it. I know. Um, but it, it's, I ended up, uh, I, I had a friend back then who, who also was trying to build websites and he used to joke. He said, yeah, we, uh, we work 16 hours a day so we can make money while we sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so I started doing that for a few years and, you know, back then blogging was, blogging was like hugely popular. It was, it was kind of like blogs were like the new hot thing. It was kind of like how podcasts and YouTube are now. Like that's what blogs were back in those days. And so if you wanted to get traffic, if you wanted, uh, to rank well on Google, you needed to create blogs for your websites. And so I started doing that and I, I, that I, I kind of muddled about for about two, two and a half years, trying to create some e- e-commerce sites, trying to do affiliate marketing, trying to, you know, do scrape, scrape anything together to kind of make a living. And, um, and then by two, it was 2010, I kind of came to the realization that, uh, I was, I was shitty at marketing, but people really liked my writing like my like the, my blogs were developing a real readership uh and people who interacted and cared um and followed me and so i kind of took a note from that and then it was in 2011 i think i kind of made the transition i'm like okay you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna be a writer like i'm gonna be a blogger and a writer and one day i'd like to be an author and like this is i'm gonna the whole internet marketing e-commerce thing didn't go so hot so let's see if this, uh, let's see if I, if focusing on writing works out better. And, um, and it did. So I love how music helped because if anything, it helped decide what you don't want to do. And I also find that that is a great, um, in a weird way, it's a lighthouse for so many people and they're just bashing their heads against the thing that their mom or their parents or some story that they told themselves when they were 10 you know, that they need to, to be or do this thing. How long did it take you to figure that out? Like, from, was it like, you know, a year and did you, or did you go to music school for two years and then you're a year and you're like, this is a shit sandwich. Like, how long did that take you? Because so many people, they do that for years and then they end up in a career as a musician only to find out that they should have listened to their, you know, 21-year-old self. Yeah. It took me... um a semester and a half, really. 
you know, so I, I played guitar and I went to a jazz program. Um, and it's, it was funny when we, the first week, so it was guitar. So like, you know, everybody fucking plays guitar. Um, and so there's like 40 guys in the class and the teacher stands up and he's like, look, look around the room. There's like 42 people in here. Look around the room. Um, statistically only five of you are going to graduate. Like it's that, this is that competitive. Um, so think very hard. If this is what you want to do, it's going to be very, very difficult, blah, blah, blah. And we got through the first semester and, and like that 40, 40 people got whittled down to about 12, I think. And so far I was like pretty comfortable with it. I mean, I was trying really hard, but I was, I was one of the 12. And so I, I, I still kind of felt like I could do this. And then it was that second semester that it, it just passed me up. And I, I remember going into, I remember playing, practicing and playing so much that my fingers hurt, my wrists hurt. Um, I was so burnt out. I hated my guitar. Like I didn't want to look at music. I didn't want to listen to music. Um, I, I was becoming depressed. And I remember going into my weekly guitar lesson and my teacher looking at me and he's like, you know, I, I just, I think you don't practice enough. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> I'm like, if this isn't enough, uh, then I'm done. Like I can't, I really, and, and I, you know, looking back, I think that probably gave me more confidence to leave is that is knowing that like I gave it everything, like I gave it a hundred percent. Um, so yeah, I'd say, how, you know, how long is that? That's probably like seven, eight months. Yeah. There's so much wisdom there. I was one of the really dumb, stubborn people who tried to keep that up in graduate school for two years, kicked me like 50 grand into debt. Uh, as a philosopher, you mentioned you like to read philosophy. I went to graduate school in philosophy after bailing on medical school. Another thing I realized that however many years of study in MCAT and all that shit that I bailed on. And it was pure torture. And I think right now there are people out there who are tortured and they're doing shit that they don't love. And it maybe it's not even love, but there's this energy when you're doing something that you're supposed to be doing, I guess, is the yeah. right way of thinking about it. And it's, it's all, I, I think I equate it to the, uh, the tractor beam in Star Wars when you're just like feeling pulled towards something. Maybe that's against your will. So that's a bad example. But um, like there's just something. Um, it's like a path and, and things start to feel different than, you know, like writing on Wednesday night to take your earlier, um, you know, phrase relative to six hours of playing the guitar. Contrast those for me. Was it? Yeah. Anyway? Yeah. I mean, I, the way I describe it in my work is, is it's you choose the struggles that you enjoy having or to put it even more extremely, like what are you what sort of like masochist are you? Um, so the difference for me, and, and I think a lot of this gets lost because there's so much emphasis in our culture on, you know, never quit, persistence wins out, you know, you should uh, discipline yourself, all this stuff. And it's, the truth is, is you should quit most things you do. It's, you know, you, you are, the 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 amount of leverage that comes with doing the thing that you're best at and that you enjoy most is so high like the returns are such a multiple higher than other things that you should be quitting most things that you do so for me it's it's the way you know you've truly found something is 
you enjoy the hard times. Like there's never a moment, like when I was in music school and I was struggling and I actually started to hate the guitar. Like I started to hate the music I was playing. That to me, like that is immediately a sign that I'm in the wrong place. You know, with writing, even in, in the times where I'm so frustrated with writing, so frustrated with the book I'm working on, uh, it never crosses my mind that this isn't what I want. This isn't what I chose. You know, mm -hmm. a, a good analogy for this is like, it's the same way of recognizing you're in a, like a good or a bad relationship. Um, you know, if you're in a good relationship and you have a fight with your partner, it's, it brings you closer together. Like it's, it's not, you never think to yourself, like, why am I with this person? I, I'm such an idiot for dating this person. Like if, if those things are coming into your mind, then it's probably a red flag. Whereas when you're with the right person and you have a fight, it, it just brings you closer together ultimately. Uh, I think there's like, if you are not watching this live, uh, and I'll, I'll reacquaint those people who just joined it, but if you're not watching this live and you can rewind that second or press on your, the podcast, like go back 30 seconds, go back 30 seconds, just listen to that again. There's, I think that is such a simple but profound distinction that, you know, having surveyed so many people across lots of, especially creators and entrepreneurs when we're sold a dream of the thing we're supposed to be doing. And then the thing we really want to be doing is, you know, over there and there's this distance between us and it, like people are so frustrated and they're smashing their head against the wall to please, please somebody else. And you just, you nailed that. So thank you for putting an eloquent uh, cherry on top of a tough Sunday for a lot of people. <laughs> uh, and I, I want to go back to this, process where you're um you do feel the thing that you're supposed to be doing um and a lot of people i think when they start to feel that thing and it starts on night, nights and weekends or you know, they can't afford to just drop it and you, you built websites and tried to make some you know money doing some other things to facilitate it what was the you know describe the actual process from writing your blog and mm -hmm. Um, getting traction, if you will, on the internet, um, building a community and actually doing the thing, like putting a book out there in the world. Like what was that process for you? Because, and be as detailed as you can, because this is a huge black sure. box for so many people who there's this gap from they're doing the thing on the side and they have this vision and there's all kinds of fear between here and there, like the mortgage, you know, what is my partner going to say? And like all these things, but give us some painful detail about how you make that transition. Sure. Um, I mean, the thing to understand about a content business online, which, I mean, so a blog, a podcast, YouTube channel, whatever, like it, it, they're all content businesses, essentially. So the thing about content businesses is that they, they take a long time to ramp up. And I think this is what a lot of people don't understand. Um, you know, I... I I used to get a lot of emails from people saying like, I just started a blog, you know, how much traffic do I need to like quit my job? And I'm like, eh, you're, you're probably looking at that the wrong way because it's wrong. It's, question, dude. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like it's a content business is like a snowball and it takes a long time to, to get that snowball built up. And it's, 
there's a lot of micro decisions that have to happen over the course of months and months and years and years. And you have to consistently be creating a, like uh, an archive of content that entire time. So in terms of blogging, it was just, it was paying attention and being able to adapt and, and take advantage of opportunities as they, as they arrived, um, over the course of say 2010 through 2015. Um, so early on that was primarily through interlinking with other blogs. Um, that was when podcasts were just starting up. So I, you know, I used to try to get on the podcasts and stuff, um, and just trying all, all sorts of different tactics. And then around 2013 is when Facebook really opened up its newsfeed to, uh, publish content. And so I, and I noticed pretty early on. I had a article go viral in the summer of 2012, fall of 2012. Um, and I was like, holy shit, that's a lot of traffic. <laughs> that's a lot of traffic really fast. And so I kind of became obsessed with Facebook's algorithm. And I realized, I, I studied, I understood that like what Facebook was doing at the time was Facebook wanted to start competing with news. And they wanted, Facebook basically wanted to be the world's homepage. And, um, and so they were syndicating published, good published content from other sources, um, giving a very high priority on people's news feeds. So if you could write something that people really liked and wanted to share, it could go viral very quickly and very easily. This is kind of like a golden age of virality. It's, it's much, much harder these days. Uh, and so I, I, I feel like I figured that out about a year before most people. And so I started leveraging that and really just cr like finding content and, and trying to uh, kind of maximize uh, it, the Facebook output, essentially. And so I build, that's how I went from, you know, over the course of, I guess, 2008 to 2012, uh, I slowly built up to maybe 100,000 followers a month. And then in, from 2012 to 2014, I went from 100,000 to a million thousand, or pff, a million thousand, 100,000 to a million per month. And then by 2015, 2016, it was closer to 2 million per month. Um, and so it, it's just, it's like anything, right? Like it's, it's a craft, but you also develop like a sensibility to understand how the flows of internet traffic function and how they work and how to, you know, slightly repos, you know, if I reposition a couple things this way, um, I'll be better positioned to take advantage of it. Um, you know, for instance, just, just the last year or two, we've, we've been, uh, we've noticed that, you know, Facebook's basically dead now. Um, so a lot of the stuff that I wrote back then is still, it needs to be updated, revised, retitled. Um, and so we're updating it to, to try to take advantage of like SEO, Google SEO, you know, with the success of the book and everything, Google really likes my site now. Um, so it's, you're constantly having to, I think being a creator these days is if you want to be an independent creator, you have to have kind of a business or marketer's mindset about your own work. I, I think of it as wearing two different hats. So like I have my author hat that I wear in the morning, like I said earlier. Um, and, and the author is just all he cares about is just writing something really cool and good. And then I, I go to lunch and when I come back from lunch, I take the author hat off and I put the marketer hat on and I, and I look at what I've written and I say, okay, what, 
what can I do to serve this piece of writing the best I possibly can? Uh, what title can I put on it? How, where on the site can I put it? How can I promote it on social media that it's going to reach the most people? Um, and I think for a lot of artists that feels very like, uh, icky, like it feels very objectifying and, and gross, but I think it's just a reality of being a creator in the 21st century. Like you have to play that game. And if you don't, um, you know, you, you're going to get left behind. And then in terms of, of your question of like, how do you transition into books? Well, it's, it's funny because it's the, the publishing industry these days. So much of it is very reliant on finding people who have platforms and audiences online already. Um, it's, that sounds depressing to a lot of people. Like a lot of people get upset. Like you, you, back in the day, all you needed was a really good book idea and a good proposal. And, and you could get like a, $100,000 advance from Penguin or whatever. Um, these days, you still need a good good book idea, but really what they're looking at is, um, do you have a Twitter following? Do you have a YouTube channel? Do you have a podcast? Do you have relationships with people with podcasts? Uh, and that sounds, uh, it's easy to criticize that, but ultimately it's it's just, the internet has become like the the filter for, the more conventional media industries. Um, it's, it's like you, you kind of have to like prove yourself in the arena of the internet, um, to, to show the publishers that you have concepts that are going to work well and that, that people are going to be interested in. Um, so, you know, once you built once with, with that following I built in 2015, I started getting approached by publishers and agents and, um, I started working on subtle art in, in 2014. And so I was about halfway through the book. Uh, and I, I signed on with my agent and went and pitched publishers. And that was it. Man, I love the idea that, that there's this proving ground. And um, I've talked about a lot. Many others have. This is not unique. But the, the, the gatekeepers are largely gone. But in a world, they're just they just backed up. Yeah. <laughs> they just backed up into the castle one extra tier right now they're into the interior and the 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 uh the foyer of the castle if you will is now able to be run amok um but there's still an aspect of it that they're gatekeeping it's just is it is it accurate to say that um that they're using the uh the foyer of the castle as the test ground and and it's up to creators who want to make an impact to find or create rather some sense of success in that in the foyer yeah i i think you know the idea that they backed up a little bit it makes sense to me and and it's it's honestly i think this system is way better than it used to be you know it used to be it was all or nothing right you either got a book deal or you were completely screwed there was like nowhere you couldn't just like show up in public like there are all these old stories about stephen king and and these old authors who who they used to collect rejection slips you know like they had piles of like hundreds of rejection slips like that's that's what it used to be like i've never gotten rejected in my life <laughs> and it's just simply because i blogged for 10 years first you know so it's like i know what works i built an audience i know what people like to read um so i don't have to go through that like soul destroying process of sending an essay to eight different magazines and having all eight of them reject me over and over again. Um, so it, there's, it's opened up this middle ground. Like you can, 
you can make a full-time living online, you know, producing content online. Now you don't need a publisher. You don't, you don't need a, to be on TV. You don't need all these things. Like if you, if you're good at what you do and, and you're putting good content in the world, you can, uh, you know, you, you can have a middle-class income, uh, within a few years of work. So it, it's, to me, it's opened up this whole new middle ground now where it, it's not all or nothing anymore. Now it's kind of like this gradual scale that you climb and the the conventional media has kind of just moved themselves to the top of the ladder and that, like that's all they inhabit now. Oh, that's, that's brilliant. And it, there's a sense of the rejection letters are a thing of the past and now the hard part is not in getting rejection letters, but it's in writing for 10 years before anyone knows your shit, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like that's we're, just, <laughs> we're just shifting the pain. The pain is still there, but I think exactly that's, it's. Um, but at least somebody's reading it, you know. It's yeah, like <laughs> exactly. Even if it's your your mom and your roommates or or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um. All right, you found some success. We started off the broadcast talking about like when you have a book that sells 10 million copies. Um you know, that changes your world. And then we covered off the early bit of how you went from what I call zero to one, like, you know, not having a career, doing the thing you wanted to do to having that career. Um, one thing is, the, 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 to me, the big mystery is now, what is your, you mentioned early on, you know, fear of apathy and boredom, and then you mentioned your creative process. So, you know, between the next now and the next mega success and between going from zero to one, there's just a lot of grinding and doing. And so I'm hoping that you can take a minute and uh, paint a picture of what your what your days look like, what your creative process is. And before you do, I want to welcome people who are coming in from all over the world. We've got New York. We had an Indonesia. We've got Oslo, Norway. Um, so many people writing in saying how your book has affected and changed them. And so just a reminder, if you're tuning in, it's yours truly, Chase Jarvis, with Mark Manson, the number one New York Times bestselling author of a number of books, one of which is Everything is Fucked, a book about hope, and the subtle art of not giving a fuck, a counterintuitive approach to living a good life. Uh, again, thanks for, for uh, being on the show, Mark. Um, so do me the favor, if you would, and talk about your creative process and this between figuring out what you're supposed to be doing and doing it and, you know, mega success and the next mega success. There's like if there are rungs on the ladder, if the success or the handholds and there's a gap between each handhold, what are yeah. you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> Tell me. Well, well I, I think there's kind of an internal ladder and then the, there's an external ladder. Um, you know, the internal ladder is just trying to be a better writer, trying to find new ways to challenge myself creatively, um, trying to find new new ideas, uh, deeper ideas, more difficult topics. Uh, you know, so for, for me, that's always kind of been uh, the thing that keeps me excited. A lot of times I ask, you know, like what, what feels challenging? What feels difficult? Like I don't want to just write the same thing over and over again. Um, on a more external ladder is again, these days, because everything plays out so much online, like there, there is, you can very much kind of track, uh, how you're doing via metrics online. Like how many, uh, 
how much traffic is your site getting? How many shares have you gotten? Um, if you're publishing on others, like if you're syndicating on other sites, how many page views are the the articles getting? Um, how much are you getting paid for each article? Like those are all things that you can work to improve on uh, from an external standpoint. But it, it's you know ultimately the the creative process. It's just I mean at this point I've done it for so long I don't even realize that I I do it. You know it's kind of like She's like breathing and <laughs> like eating what? breakfast, you know, like it's just it's like what I do. Uh, so basically, I mean, my my mornings, I've noticed that I'm most productive and um, uh, most creative in the morning. So I generally my mornings are kind of sacred. Um, it's only reading and writing um, and afternoons are for everything else. And I try to maintain that. Generally, I get two to three hours of writing in per morning. Uh, a lot of times less than that because I get distracted or procrastinate. Um, every once in a while, if I'm having a really, really good day, I'll do more than that. Um, but generally, it's like by, if I've got three good hours of writing, my, my brain's kind of fried by that point anyway. Mm. Um, so I, I don't. I used to, you know, when I was younger and I think less experienced, I used to to fall into the trap of like just pushing myself through the burnout, like, you know, fuck this thousand more words, let's go. And and it just what I discovered is that pushing yourself when it comes to creative energy, producing bad work actually creates more work than just doing nothing. Um, you know, so it's like if I, if I, if I write 10 pages that are really bad, I, not only did I waste the time it took to write those 10 pages, but now I created more work for myself because I'm going to have to go back and decide if anything in that is worth keeping or not. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I've kind of learned that like, as soon as my brain is, is kind of like my creative juice is gone for the day, I just hang it up and I don't, I don't feel guilty or beat myself up over it. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's crazy. I, I was thinking about this uh, just a couple months ago, but like I've basically been writing almost every day, almost every weekday um, since like 2009, 2010. And it, and it just adds up. Like you don't, you don't think about it, right? Like it's, and, and there's so much intangible value that comes from that that repetition and that grinding and just getting in those reps um and so it's i think there's a lot of it can't be measured you know it's like the what i've consistently found is that whenever i go and read something that i wrote more than three or four years ago i like cringe a little bit i'm like oh that's bad like who didn't, somebody should have cut that sentence. Like, what, what the fuck was my <laughs> editor thinking? Which one of you fuckers would know? Exactly. And it, but it's, I like having that feeling. I, I, I don't want to ever lose that feeling because that, that means I'm, I'm improving. Um, and I, I think that that kind of intangible improvement, it, it really just comes from the repetition. Thanks for that insight. I think there's so much, um, they're doing a beautiful job of helping people understand the black box. I think they just look at success from a long ways away and say, shit, man, I need some of that. Um, so thanks for keeping it real. Uh, it's no surprise cause that's what your, your books are just this, you know, 
hit it straight on. Um, and I, I, one of the things I really, really appreciate the work, appreciate about the work, I'd like to uncover a little bit about your inspirations. Um, mm -hmm. And also, I, I think it's uh, prudent to talk about um, the Audible book that you just released called Love is Not Enough, which just released sure. like a week ago. Um, so congrats on that. Probably a weird time to be putting something out in the world and shouting from the rooftops about your, your, <laughs> your work. Um, yeah. But um, there's a great Guardian article uh, that ties some of that work back to Neil Strauss, who is a mutual friend of ours. Neil's been on the show. Um, really appreciate his writing. He's seen an amazing career arc, super talented. Um, if, you know, maybe you can connect the dots for us. Um, you know, Neil and some other people that you have taken inspiration from and your most recent audio book, which just dropped on Thursday from Audible. Sure. Um, you know, I, I've generally, this is not going to surprise anybody, but I, get most of my inspiration from other books and other authors. Um, you know, Neil was a, a big influence of mine back when I started. Um, I, I still think he's one of the most readable authors, uh, that I've ever come across. Like he's that, that feeling when you open a book and start reading and then suddenly like 45 minutes has gone by and you're yeah. like, you've read 30 pages and you're like, wait, what the hell? Like, you know, and he's the topic. It really like his, yeah. his, like he can write about anything. It and, just yeah, flows I, I so smoothly. Um, yeah. you know, he, he's incredible at that early on. Tim Ferriss was an influence as well. Um, you know, I, I feel like Tim is when all is said and done, I, you know, he's very much going to be kind of seen as a, a voice of a generation in terms of just, how we approach life, how we think about life. Um, you know, and so when I was starting out, he, he, he was very important. Uh, as time has gone on, my, you know, my, my inspiration has shifted. It's these days I get, I, fo I try to focus a lot more on just really, really good nonfiction, like classic nonfiction. Uh, so, uh, authors like David Foster Wallace, uh, Joan Didion, Hunter S. Thompson, um, you know, people who have written, who are kind of like the greats of the nonfiction essay, um, or the nonfiction piece, you know, I, I went through a phase where I really studied them and read them a lot. Um, and then these days I'm, I'm actually getting a lot more inspiration from, I guess, philosophy and, and kind of tangential topics to my own, you know, so I primarily write about psychology, uh, and self-help, but, um, most of my reading these days is either, it's either philosophy or it's like economics and politics, because I feel like those things, you know, everything kind of ties in together. Uh, but it's like, I'm very, I feel like I'm very, after almost 15 years, like I'm very knowledgeable about the psychological psychology literature. Um, and so it's more, I'm kind of looking to these tangential subjects to kind of see like how things connect in, in ways that maybe I didn't consider or think about before. Um, but I, I, you know, I think the important thing is to just keep finding what lights you up and what excites you. Um, and then in terms of, of the new project, so I released an, an audio book on audible last week. It's called love is not enough. Uh, it is a super weird time to be launching anything like two thirds of my interviews were canceled. 
uh, couldn't leave the house. I was supposed to like, you know, go on TV and do an event and do a launch party and all this stuff. And it's like, it's all canceled. So, uh, so but if you're at home, um, so it, as the title would suggest, it's an audiobook about relationships. Um, if you're at home, it's a really cool thing to, to kind of dive into. Um, it's basically me sitting down with five different people with relationship problems. And, um, you know, rather than like coach them, like, you know, most, most of the things on audible, it's kind of like coaching with me. It's more, I just talk with them and get their stories. And then we track them over six months and we kind of see how each of their stories resolves. And I try to pull lessons from each one of their, um, I guess their, their misfortunes <laughs> you could say. Um, but it's, it's a really fun project and it's, uh, there's a lot of cool, um, in, you know, psychology of relationships and, and, and love and, sex and intimacy and all those things. So check it out if you have a chance. Uh, it's on Audible everywhere. Awesome. Yeah, it's uh, getting promoted there. Again, it's a weird time to be launching and promoting um, my my sympathies, man. That's got to be crazy. Um, but that's not stopping Audible from promoting it. So it's just downloaded it um, right before we got on the phone today. And uh, I'm excited to take it up. Um, part of what when you were talking there, I'm there's some piece of the, like, you're in a relationship. Most people think a relationship is about, I mean, this is a, might be a stretch here, so just sure. feel free to throw rocks. But <laughs> you're in a relationship. A lot of people, most people, I will say, think that a relationship is about love. And here you've got this, this title, Love is Not Enough. And you've done the research or um, the study, whatever you want to call tracking, all that stuff. And it... It reminds me super, uh, like it seems like a direct overlay, and this is why I'm going to ask you to tell me if I'm wrong. Um, go back to being a creator, and a lot of people think of being a creator or an entrepreneur is just about creating. But you were also very clear that just creating is not enough. You did a lot of work. You have the first half of your day, which is the creative part, and the second half, which is the promotional part and the news part and the algorithm part and the like how am I going to be how am I best serve this thing that I just wrote and is there a connection between those two or am I just digging where there's no gold <laughs> I think there is you know I, I I think it's this idea of of, of passion and commitment you know it, it kind of it's the thread that ties a lot of these different subjects together you know whether you're talking about health wealth love business whatever um but it's one of the things that I say or that I've written a few times on my site is even if you have your dream job, like even your dream job is going to suck about 30% of the time. And I feel like that's true with relationships too. Like even if you're with like the love of your life, they're going to annoy the shit out of you about 20 to 30% of the time. Like that's just, that's just life. That's just how it is. You're never going to escape it. So, um, so again, you want to find something or someone that that uh, the difficult times are worth it. They feel worth it. Um, like the upside vastly outweighs the downside. Um, and so, yeah, that's definitely true in business. And, and I think it's it's true in love as well. What made you want to uh, dive into love? For someone who's talking about not giving a fuck, love is like a spectrum, <laughs> right? That's almost the same pivot that Neil made from being... Um, the pickup artist to 
now his most recent book about being in a relationship with someone he loves and is this a yeah. opposite side of the same coin is this like oh my god i had it wrong before what, what, why the pivot to love well it's funny because dating and relationships was kind of my it was my wheelhouse back in the day like my i when i started my my first blog that like kind of took off was was a dating and relationships blog um and so it, it's it's actually the subject I'm most comfortable with. But but really, the, the truth is that Audible approached me about doing this project. They said, you know, we want to have you in studio talking to people kind of through their problems um, and, and basically being like the disappointment panda for them, um, it, which is tell basically tell be the person that's going to tell them uh, truths that they don't really want to hear. And. I, I, we sent out applications and everything start, and started interviewing uh, people for the project. And, and I went to Audible and I said, honestly, like the thing that's going to be the most interesting is to get people with relationship problems, um, people who are cheating on their partner, being cheated on by their partner, um, who are like hopelessly, be, you know, they just got dumped in a horrible way. Like th this is, this is going to be the most interesting, um, A, because it's, the most emotional, but B, it's like generally relationship problems are kind of a gateway to your personal problems. Like any problem that shows up in your relationship, it's not the relationship. Like it's 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 a reflection of some issue that you have not dealt with yourself. Um, and so I I thought it was a very interesting way to get at people's problems via um, you know their spectacular drama. <laughs> was it? Um... Was there something about seeking it outside? You know, you, you write a lot in your earlier works uh, about your challenges and the way that you see the world. Um, and I guess in a way, when you're commenting about someone else's relationship, you're, you're, it's still external. But was there any pivot um, or part of your creative process that was, um, you've been introspective for a long time and now, I mean, I noticed that from the subtle art of not giving a fuck is very, is very, um, personal like this is what it's like for mark manson and then yeah. you know your next book was a lot more external like the world is fucked <laughs> and, yeah right and is is there something about uh relationships that you know that it was another was it was it easy to throw stones at was it just like um you know was it easy pickings or what 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 made you go there besides just looking for um telling the audible people like, you wanted some real drama? Here's where we're going to find it. <laughs> it. It was, it was a combination of being a topic that I felt very comfortable that I could talk people through. Um, but also just being the most entertaining, you know, it, it's because w when we were initially interviewing subjects, like people would come in, you know, you, you, I, like I talked to a woman who, uh, was ner like thought she wanted to change careers and was nervous about it. And then, you know, so we started to get into it and it, it turns out, well, it's the thing that's really holding her back is that her parents, uh, depend on her financially. And, uh, and we talked about that for a little bit, but then it kind of felt like, okay, well, like I can't tell you what to do. So good luck. <laughs> you know, like there's not really anywhere to go from there. Whereas like relationships, it's just this like endless fountain of interesting, juicy 
information. You know, you start getting, you get into people's childhoods, you get into people's fantasies, you get into people like, you know, the awful thing that her college boyfriend did to her that she still thinks about all the time. You know, like it's just, um, it's a much juicier topic to get into, uh, rather than, than, than some of the, some of the other things that came up. Always looking for fertile ground as a creator, right? Exactly. (laughs) Extract value and what's the, uh, saying in the particular lies the universal, right? You tell a story about a person and we really know that it's about everybody or, or about most people. Yeah. Uh, I want to retrace some of our steps and, uh, again, echo sentiments coming in from the Philippines, from New York, uh, plenty from, uh, California, Los Angeles, San Francisco. Um, a lot of people being expressing a lot of gratitude for your work. Uh, and I want to take a second and acknowledge, um, how, profound your work is, how it's um, made an imprint on uh, a generation. You've talked about Neil and Tim and a handful of other authors, but you, you've really um, captured a, a spirit and, um, I don't know, a, a, the zeitgeist, if you will. And so I wanted to take a second and say thank you and recognize your um, brilliance. Um, so appreciate you. And thanks again for being on the show. Um, Thanks, man. Yeah, appreciate it. And and before we scoot, um, I think it's impossible for us, uh, it's impossible for me on this, to not acknowledge that we're in a sort of different time right now. We're recording this on the 31st of March um, in, I would call it sort of mid or peak um, COVID virus. We're all locked down. And um, this is this sort of global pandemic is different than so many other tragedies, 9-11 was very US-centric, um, even the financial crisis, and uh, it was felt around the world, but it was, um, I guess it was still, uh, you, there was a distance for some, and this, however, is is um, uniting and connecting because it's pretty much everywhere, and if it's not everywhere, it's either not there yet or you don't know about it. and. So if, if we can, you know, wrap our arms around that um, and agree that it's a crazy and strange time, uh, I want to get really particular. What are you doing now that is different uh, aside from just staying in? You mentioned earlier yeah. things like creative practice. You mentioned earlier meditating, but you talked about it in the past tense. Um, you've also talked about protecting your mornings and having your work be in the afternoon. Um, what you know, how, how can you um, explicate for us, if you will, um, what it's like and what are you doing differently? And if you've got any advice, um, again, people from the Philippines and from Puerto Rico, and we just got um, Emmerich from Portugal, everyone wants to know what you're doing. Um, you know, it's a struggle. And uh, I, I, for me, I guess the, the two best things that have come out of this is one, I am having more conversations and phone calls with friends and family than I have in a long time, uh, which that's nice. And I, I hope that a lot of these communication habits that we're picking up during this time continue, uh, even once we're out back into the world. And the other thing I'm doing is, is, you know, because we're stuck at home, the wife and I are cooking every night. So I've actually, this is the healthiest I've eaten in 
my god since i was a kid probably it's same uh, I'm just, sorry i was trying to cover my i should have just uh, muted i started laughing and thinking the same thing i'm like i weighed dude. myself this morning i was like yo this is like yeah. working <laughs> i know like i've i've lost three or four pounds like i i'm i'm feeling super healthy um so those are the two good things and i i do think that uh, I'm, I'm actually working on an article for my site next week, kind of about like managing mental health during this period. Um, you know, finding, finding some sort of routine, finding some sort of health practices, keeping relationships tight. I think those are the best things to do, but I'll be honest too. Like it's hard some days, like today was actually pretty rough. Um, I, for some reason for me, it's like days are very hit and miss. Uh, I'd say, couple days a week, I am just like a total slug and can barely get out of bed and am just like, you know, what's the point? I'm, let's just watch TV. And, uh, and so I try not to, um, hammer on myself too much for that, but it's, it's definitely something that I need to get better on too. So it's a weird time. It is a weird time. That's the reason for the question. Um, I'm super grateful for you taking the time uh, to appear here on the show. And for those of you who are tuning in, you're tuning in late, you need to rewind this. Uh, keep an eye out on creativelab.com um, where we're going to be sharing this, all of the sites there. And as a close, what is the best place? Where would you direct folks to uh, to sample your work of course the books the bookstores amazon of course you type your name in anywhere on the internet you get lots of stuff but is there a preferred is it markmanson.net or what, what, what yeah. where would you prefer people track you down yeah go to markmanson.net check out some of the articles there there's hundreds of pages of free content there and uh if you like it sign up for the weekly newsletter um i send a newsletter out each monday which is it's called motherfucking monday uh of course um and then uh, the books, Subtle Art, Not Giving a Fuck, Everything's Fucked, The Book About Hope, and then the Audible original, Love is Not Enough. Check them out. Awesome. Thanks so much for being on the show. For those of you who are tuning in from all over the world, thanks for joining us live on all of the platforms. Stay, more, or stay tuned for more stuff at creativelive.com slash TV, where we're basically airing COVID uh, content from creators and entrepreneurs from all over the world. And Mark, thank you so much for being on the show. We'll uh, make sure to share this with you when we put out the audible or so that the audio and the video versions and couldn't thank you enough for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks, dude. Appreciate it. All right. Hey, before you go, thanks so much for listening. And if you got value from this show, chances are your community will too, right? In the particular lies the universal. Please share this link to the show with a friend or mention the show on social. That is a huge benefit for us in hopefully in exchange for providing value to you. I want you to know that I really appreciate your time, the attention, anything that you give to the show and the questions that you ask our guests either on social media or through my text community. All of that is pure gold. This community, like any community, is a testament to that old phrase, a rising tide floats all boats. And by elevating one another, by sharing and resharing this show, the tidbits that you learn and the experiences you take away, all of that has a collective, massive positive impact on the world. So just a quick thank you. I appreciate all the effort you put into sharing for this show. 
All right, that's a wrap. Let's put today's episode into practice and get back to growing together. Together.